as they are heading out, I want to give a little bit of a recap of the current series that we are in. It's a series called Why? Why? And actually, we're only two more weeks this week and next week left in Why? Before we move into the book of Ephesians. So as we're there, I want to do a little recap. It started on January 1st with communion. Why do we take communion? It was the first question we asked, and that's to remember what Christ has done for us and give glory to God. January 8th, why worship? Why do we come together and sing songs? Why do we come together and encourage each other? Why do we do these things? Because God is worthy. Because God is worthy as we see what He has done. He is worthy of our praise and our lives. And we give that glory to God. January 15th, why evangelism and discipleship? Pastor Bruce brought the message and it's to grow the kingdom and to give glory to God. I'm not sure if you're seeing a pattern here, but every single one of them has to do with the glory of God. As a matter of fact, January 22nd, we talk about why give. Why give of your time? Why serve? Why invest? Why give of your financial resources? Why give of your talents? It's because they're all His anyway. And we use them for His glory. January 29th, why connect? Why should we get involved? Why should we have somebody who sharpens us? Why should we have somebody who holds us accountable? Because the Bible is full of these one another's. And you can't one another by yourself. And so in that, we have to understand as we come together, we give God glory. Last week, why baptism? Why baptism? To give glory to God for taking from who you were, buried with Him in baptism, and raised to walk in a new life. Seeing the water all over the floor, somebody's like, hey, can I grab a mop? I'm like, no, leave it. I want to see it. I want to see the water. I want to just live this experience of testimonies throughout the week that I need to share with you because of time. Man, just, they inspired me. I know they were telling me, they're, oh, this is what I, I have to do. I have to take that step. But, but to see them do it inspires me to say, we need to be on fire for what God is doing. We need to say, when I was 12 years old, I was baptized. And I can remember that day now. And look at it and say, it wasn't a huge special day for me, other than the fact that I got baptized the same time as my mom. But I look at it now and go, how much of an encouragement was it to everybody else to see God working? Guys, we've been praying for Josh for a long time. Been praying for Andrea for a long time. Been praying for Melissa for a long time. Been praying for the youth to take that step for a long time. And to see it happen right here in front of us is just an amazing thing. I say we've been praying, and that leads us to where we're at today. Our why question of the day. Why do we even bother praying? Why pray? And the simple answer is found in Warren Wearsby's book. It's called, On Earth As It Is In Heaven. And this is what it says. The immediate purpose of prayer is the accomplishing of God's will on earth. The ultimate purpose of prayer is the eternal glory of God. Did you see how it all kind of weirdly ties in that it's all about God's glory? Let me read for you again. The immediate purpose of prayer is the accomplishing of God's will on earth. The ultimate purpose of prayer 
is the eternal glory of God. In case you're wondering, everything that we do here at Paragon Church is about the glory of God. Everything that we do here, I don't care if you're on the mop-up crew, if you are on the clean-up crew, if you're making coffee, if you're teaching the kids back in the back, if you're working with disciples now or working with the youth, if you're... It doesn't matter what you do. We are doing it for the glory of God. You just being here this morning gives God glory. That is why we do what we do. Everything we do is for God's glory and that everything includes prayer. Now, the truth about prayer is this. The truth about prayer is for the grand majority of Christians, we know we should pray more than we actually do. We know we should pray more than we actually do. Even though we know in the book of Colossians as well as in the book of 1 Thessalonians, it tells us to pray constantly or pray continually, we still fall short. We don't pray as often as we should. And a lot of times it comes down to the fact that, that, that we misunderstand the purpose of prayer in the first place. And that misunderstanding comes down to a couple of questions that you have probably asked yourself at least once in your life. Something like, why pray when God's sovereign and He already knows and He already has a plan for the world and He has a plan for me? Why should I bother talking to Him? Why pray when God is omniscient and He knows everything already? He already knows what I'm going to ask or what I'm going to say. Why should I even bother? Why pray when it doesn't seem like God answers my prayers? Why? And they're all valid questions. Lots of people have those questions. But here's my question for you today. What if the purpose of prayer was less about getting answers or results and it was more about just knowing God and knowing God better? What if when we hear Psalm 37, 4 that says... Take delight in the Lord and He will give you your heart's desires. Instead of reading it to say, if you focus on enjoying God, He will give you whatever you want. Instead, we see it this way. That we understand it to mean, if we take delight in God over everything else in all of our life, He will shape your heart in such a way to give you the things He already wants to give you. His desires will become your desires. And by the way, that second interpretation that second uh, look at it all that's more consistent with the bible actually says today as we talk about why pray one of my goals this morning is not going to challenge you to pray more it's going to challenge you to look at the motivation behind your prayer what causes you to pray what, what stirs in your heart the truth is most everyone christian or not Praise in a time of desperation. That is their motivation. Prayer seems to be that little glass box on the wall that says, in case of emergency, break the glass. In case of an emergency, I mean, you've heard that saying that says, there are no atheists in a foxhole. There are no atheists in a foxhole, meaning that life, when it's not looking so good, that you have to turn to some higher power because you all of a sudden realize I can't do this on my own. I need help. In that moment, I need something to help me out. I know I can't do it on my own. And here's a foundation that I want to lay out for us today and really every day. And that is, according to God's word, our entire lives are to be lived with that attitude. To be living with that attitude that unless God intervenes, unless God intervenes, we can't do anything. That is how we're supposed to live. We need to live with an attitude of absolute 
dependence on God. Not just a just-in-case-of-emergency type of relationship. We need to live that way. I mean, what if every single thing that you do today as a follower of Christ was not possible without intervention? What if? Well, I'm convinced that is exactly the case. And it's that first reason that we actually pray. Why pray? We pray to show and understand that we always need God. We always need God. I mean, if you look at what the Bible shows us about prayer, you're going to see that the heart of prayer is about recognizing the complete dependence on God. And you don't have to look very far because you can just look at the life of Jesus. That, that lived it and modeled it and mentored prayer for his disciples, including us. The book of Luke, the pastor Bruce read from up front, actually rec- records more prayers than any other gospel by Jesus. And it's seen throughout the book, from the beginning of his ministry to the end, Jesus prayed in total dependence on God. As a matter of fact, the very beginning of his ministry, you know what it was? It was a baptism. We talked about it last week. But you know when he came up out of the water, you know what he did? He prayed. He prayed and the heavens opened up. Luke 3.21. Luke chapter 4 starts a temptation of Jesus. You probably have heard that story before. 40 days in the wilderness. You know what he's doing? He was fasting and he was praying. And what he was praying for was what was to come. And you know what was going to come as soon as he was done? A major spiritual battle. Luke chapter 5, his ministry is up and coming, crowds are beginning to grow, and verse 16 says he didn't just all spend all his time on the crowds, it says, yet he often withdrew to deserted places, and you know what he did? He prayed. Luke chapter 6, again, ministry full swing, Jesus is calling his inner 12. It says this in verse 12, during those days he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. All night in prayer. Luke chapter 9, a great question asked by Jesus to his disciples, that one that I think each and every single one of us needs to answer, is a question that I asked right here in the baptismal tank, and it is this Who do the crowds say that I am? Or who do you say that I am? Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answer, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others. The one of the ancient prophets that has come back. And in verse 20, he says, But you, he asked them, who do you say I am? And Peter's answer was, God's Messiah. You are the chosen one. That interaction was actually preceded by the feeding of the 5,000. I'm not sure if you watched The Chosen or not. The last episode, the feeding of the 5,000, powerful episode. To see it laid out there kind of in front of you in the, in the way that it all came. But Jesus took five loaves and two fish. And he multiplied them. But how did he multiply them? He broke the bread and he gave thanks. He prayed to God. And you saw the results. You know the rest of the story. But the next verse in Luke, it transitions to that question. It's in verse 18. Who do the crowds say that I am? But you know what the beginning of that verse is in verse 18? It actually says, while he was praying in private. While he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked the questions, who do the crowd say to him? Can I ask you a question? What do you think Jesus was praying for at that moment? You know what I think it is? I think it was for Peter's eyes to be opened. 
I think it was for Peter's eyes to be open to say, you are the Messiah. I think that's what he's praying for. And the reason why I think that is because if you go back to 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a prayer of Elisha that he's praying for the servant. As they're surrounded by an enemy, the servant gets really worried and says, hey, God, open his eyes and let him see that those who are for us are much greater than those who are against us. Ephesians, and we're going to jump into in a couple of weeks, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, is Paul's prayer that our eyes would be open to the spirituality of, of who God is and what he's doing in our lives. I think that's what Jesus was praying. He was praying for Peter, that Peter would take that next step. Later in Luke chapter 9, transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain with Peter and John and James. You know why they went up the mountain? I bet you can guess. They went up to pray. They went up to pray. Luke chapter 11, the Lord's Prayer, the Pastor Bruce read up front. It's a model prayer of dependence. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You probably have said it at least a time or two in your life, but that is a model prayer of dependence. Luke chapter 18, famous teaching. A famous parable on the persistence of prayer. And probably one of the most well-known passages on Jesus praying is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's found in Luke chapter 22. Starting in verse 40 when Jesus says, or when the, the word says, when he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and guess what he did? He began to pray. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then just a few verses later, you may know the story from the Easter story, whatever it might be. It says, as he was in anguish, being in anguish, he prayed more fervently. You know what it means to pray fervently? To pray with passion. To pray with spirit. And we're going to see that word here again in a second. But I tell you, all of this in the book of Luke, and by the way, we covered it super fast. I tell you all of this in the book of Luke for one reason. To ask the question, why do you think Jesus prayed? Why was Jesus praying? Or, or maybe the question should be, what did Jesus do on his own apart from prayer? What did Jesus do on his own apart from prayer? You know what my answer is? From just a, a look at the book of Luke? Absolutely nothing. He didn't do anything apart from from prayer there's not one thing that jesus did independent of the father everything he did was dependent on the father as a matter of fact john chapter 5 verse 19 records this saying jesus replied truly i tell you the son is not able to do anything on his own but only what he sees the father doing for what the father does the son likewise does these things and if you skip down to verse 30 of that same chapter i can do nothing on my own I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. That leads us to another question. If Jesus, the Son of God, God wrapped in the flesh, could not do anything on His own, as it says right there in verse 30, then who are we? Who are you and who am I to think that there's anything in our life, especially our Christian life, that we think we can do on our own? We have to realize we must realize that we are totally dependent on God. Every breath I take, every move I make. Yeah, I knew, I knew it went that way already in your head, so I just helped to get there, all right? Everything that I do is dependent on God. I think that's probably one of the big reasons why 
Jesus asks, or I'm sorry, the disciples ask Jesus how to pray. Can you teach us how to pray? Why would they ask? I mean, when you really stop and think about it, you know they grew up in a Jewish household that went to synagogue, so they prayed there. You know they prayed during the religious rituals. You know they prayed in different aspects. Why would they ask Jesus to pray or how to pray? And the thing is, I think they saw something different in the way that Jesus prayed. They saw something different in the way that John the Baptist prayed. Not just some religious ritual, but they saw that prayer fed him. They saw that it nourished him, that it strengthened him, and it was a necessity for him. They saw that. And his life and ministry were dependent on prayer. So they said, Lord, teach us to pray like you pray. But it wasn't just Jesus that was showing dependence through prayer. Last week, we covered the book of Acts. And really, we've covered the book of Acts on all the things on why we do what we do. And as we look at the book of Acts, you can look that it's based in prayer. As a matter of fact, it starts right off in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. It says, they all were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. When the gospel is going out and the apostles are being, you know, persecuted by the Sanhedrin, you know what the church did? They didn't gather together and complain about how terrible the government was. They didn't gather together and say, oh, this Christianity is too hard. You know what they did? Well, it says here in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, they raised their voices together to God. They prayed. They prayed. There's a few verses later in, in verse 31. It says, When they had prayed, the place that they were assembled was shaken. And don't miss this. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the words of God boldly. How were they able to speak the words of God boldly? They were filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, God, in us, was doing the work through us. Acts chapter 12 when King Herod killed some of the apostles and Peter was imprisoned you know what the church did? bet you can guess they prayed they prayed as a matter of fact it says here in verse 5 of Acts chapter 12 so Peter was kept in prison but the church was praying oh guess what there's another word here fervently just like Jesus was praying praying fervently to God for him with great intensity with great passion Acts chapter 13 when the church wanted to take the gospel of all the nations guess how it started alright I'll answer for you as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Acts chapter 14, new leadership for all these new churches that were starting. How do you pick new leaders? Oh, mm. when they had appointed elders for them in each and every church and they prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. There's a pattern here. The foundational belief in the early church was they could not do anything apart from God. So they prayed. They connected with Him. Jesus in the early church, that's what they did. So guess what? That's what we must do because we too understand we cannot do anything without God. The sad part is, is we don't. We don't. What was essential for the early church has become barely an option for today's church. We have all the stuff we have all the programs. We have all the money. We have all the lights. We can do this on our own. No, we can't. We are dependent on God. See, they didn't just gather together and pray before a meeting or pray after a meeting or even pray during a meeting. The purpose of their meeting was prayer. 
That is why they gathered. By the way, this Thursday, third Thursday, we're praying together right in this room. I'd like to see more than six here. Just give you a heads up, all right? The question is this. In your life, is prayer essential or is prayer optional? Have you truly learned how to pray? You might say, well, I don't need to learn how to pray. It's just talking to God. And you know what? That is true. It is just talking to God. But my question would be, then why did the disciples ask Jesus how to pray? Why did they say, teach us to pray? They didn't ask him how to evangelize. They didn't ask him how to heal. That'd be a cool thing to be able to do, right? Hey, God, teach us how to heal. Didn't ask him that. They didn't even ask him how to do miracles. Only how to pray. Why? Because you can't do any of those other things without God. And they had to be connected with God. Think back to the words of Jesus in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Remain in me. Some of you probably have the Bible that says, Abide. And I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Guess what those next words say? Because you can do nothing without me. That last thing. You can do nothing without me. Well, how do we abide? How do we connect with God? How do you connect in any relationship? Communication, correct? Time together, correct? Why is it any different with God? We have to pray. Communication is key. And we have to pray to show that we understand that we need God. But there's a second part to that. We also pray to know God better. To know God better. When Jesus responds to the request of the disciples to teach them how to pray, he first starts on how to address God. Luke chapter 11, verse 2 says, Father, our Father. There's a connection and relationship there. Prayer begins with a relationship with God. Our primary purpose of prayer is to deepen that relationship. The problem is we forget that truth, and when we forget that truth, then it becomes an in case of emergency only. When we forget the truth of what prayer actually is, most of us, and maybe I'm just lumping you into my category, we're taught how to pray by asking for things. Which isn't completely wrong, it's just not totally true. It's not just totally right. We learn to pray by saying, well, God, give us. God, help us. God, bless us. God, keep us. God, protect us. We're asking for things. But what happens when God doesn't respond the way that I want Him to? What happens when God forces me to wait on an answer, whether it be a prayer for a job or a spouse or the healing of a loved one or a friend or to have a baby or whatever you want to fill in the blank on what you prayed for? When God doesn't do it the way that we want to do it, how do we respond? Most of the time, we conclude that prayer doesn't work, so why pray anyway? It goes back to that question. I don't need to talk to God anyway because He won't do what I want. But I guess it goes back to our original question that I asked up front. But what if the purpose of prayer is less about getting answers and results and instead it is to just know God better? It's not that asking for what we want and bringing our needs before God is not a part of prayer because it is. But what if prayer was intended to be so much more than that? What if it was the fact that, I mean, a few months ago we talked about the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not sure if you guys remember that. Most of you have slept since then, so I'm not counting on it, but you can go back and listen online again if you want to. But we talked about prayer in the middle of that. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. 
Jesus said these words, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. You know what the next words are? Don't be like them. Because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Something interesting, that last phrase is what causes some people to stop praying. Well, God already knows, so why should I bother praying? And we ask that question, why should I bother praying? But if you ask that question from an inquisitive, positive standpoint, instead of God's not doing what I want, you're actually in the right place. Why should I pray? What if God doesn't want you to bring all of your needs so we can inform Him about all the things that He already knows? What if He already knows, so the main point isn't about asking, but about knowing and about knowing Him more. What if that verse that actually falls right before 7 8, which is verse 6, where Jesus says this means something. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your Father in heaven, who is in secret, who is unseen. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What is the reward that is talked about there? You know what it is? It's intimacy. It's connection. It's closeness with God. What if he said that because most of the time, and and maybe I'm just speaking of myself, so forgive me for broadcasting this to everybody, but most of the time when I pray, you know what I'm doing? Something else. I'm driving. I'm showering. I'm doing anything that I can. say, hey, God, just by the way, I'm just going to toss this out there while I'm doing it. What if he meant in Psalm 46.10, when he said, be still and know that I am God, but he actually meant for us to be still and know that he is God. So as a matter of fact, my CSB translation says, stop fighting and know that he is God. Sometimes we get into that, don't we? Where we're fighting against, uh, God, I don't have time. I got to kill two birds with one stone. I'm going to pray on the move. But he says, no, don't do that. I mean, if you are married or if you have children and you're trying to have a conversation with somebody, Try and have a conversation with your spouse. Try and have a conversation with your, with your child. Do you ever just say, hey, just sit down and look at me? That, that's a discussion. I'm like, no, look me in the eyes. You, right now, look me in the eyes. Not Christy, I don't do that to her. But <laughs> I do that to my kids all the time because I want them to focus on me. God sometimes has to do that to us, doesn't he? Focus on me. Be still. Oh, we saw one commentator actually put it this way. We are not desperate for something. We are desperate for someone. To know someone. This is the heart of prayer. What if God designed this whole thing called prayer for us to first and foremost enjoy Him? Enjoy being with Him. Experience His goodness. Experience His grace. Experience His mercy personally in a way that nothing else in all of Christianity, nothing else in all of the world could ever compare with. That is abiding. Have you ever really stopped and let it soak in the fact that the God who created the universe wants to have a growing relationship with you? That is amazing. Because I would tell you right here, right now, if the first famous person that popped into your mind that you are most infatuated with said, hey, I want to have a personal growing relationship with you, you would drop just about everything to make sure that happened. Well, guess what? God created them. And He wants to have that relationship with you. Why do we hold back on Him? He wants to grow us. He wants to change us. I can't think of one thing more important in our lives than a personal growing relationship with Christ. And you're like, but what about everything else flows from that? All of our what about flow from that. 
He wants to have that relationship with you. We pray because everything flows from God. We pray so we can grow in Him. But we also pray to align our hearts with His. To surrender to His plans. See, a lot of times we approach God with a have to or a need to instead of a get to. I get to go to God. We get to talk to God. I get to know God. I get to be involved in what God is doing. That baptism is like the thing that just, it, I heard it in Bruce's voice too. It's just so exciting to see physically life change happen. And I got to be a part of that. And you got to be a part of that. How exciting is that? The power of prayer is found in that relationship. We are praying to be involved with Him. But here's the thing. All of my Christian life, I have heard phrases like, prayer changes things. And there's power in prayer. But I'm going to drop a somewhat shocking statement in your laps, and then I'm going to take a moment to explain it. Prayer in and of itself is powerless. I know. know, Some of you just went, wait, what? Let me explain. The goal of this message is not to get you to pray more. Not to be more structured in your prayer, not to be more organized in your prayer, or even to be known as a person of prayer. If that were the goal of today, it would be no different than any other religion. And let me tell you something. Other religions smoke us in prayer and devotion to prayer. What they don't know is, is they're not praying to the all-powerful, holy God. They're praying to just nothing. Something that is completely false. The power of prayer is not found in prayer. It is found in who we pray to. See, prayer in and itself is powerless. Babbling on like pagans is powerless. But when we pray, and our prayer connects us to the all-powerful, all-holy, living God, we see an incredible thing in action. We see incredible power in action. God is the one who has all the power, not my prayers. But when I'm connected to Him, I see that power. The way we connect with that power is through prayer, and it's a prayer of surrender. And when I say a prayer of surrender, I mean like we saw in Jesus' life, throughout His whole life, but especially in the Garden of Gethsemane. When you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus poured out His heart and said, God, this is, this is what I want, but ultimately it's not my will but Yours. Your will be done. Give us your eyes, God. Give us your heart, God. Give us your burden for people, God. Enable us to move because everything is done because of you anyway. That is surrender. And surrender grows out of a relationship of absolute trust. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You probably know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on my own understanding, but in all of my ways acknowledge Him. Guess what? He's going to make my path straight. That is where we live. In total dependence on Him. Recognize our desperate need for God. Recognize that we need to seek Him to know Him better and better. And as we align our hearts to His, we begin to grow to understand that His way is always the best way. No matter what I might think or no matter what I might feel, His way is always the best. And we grow to the point of surrendering our will to Him in all things. And that's when life gets really exciting. 
That's when God starts using you in crazy ways that you never would have possibly imagined. He begins to call you and trust you with bigger and bigger things. And it's not for your glory, but for His. It is why Jesus gives us that framework that is found in Luke chapter 11. It's also found in the book of Matthew. It's what we call the Lord's Prayer. Father, that ultimate relationship. Your name be honored as holy. Submission. Your kingdom come, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. Start it right here in my life. Start it right here in my heart. What I want to do is I want to close in prayer. And as I do, I'm going to invite the band to come up. We're going to sing a new song that's been out for a couple months. If you listen to the Christian radio, you probably heard it because they play it about once every five minutes. And it's called The Lord's Prayer by Matt Marr. And it's just singing it. But in the middle of it all, I just love it when it goes, It's yours, all yours, the kingdom is yours. It's not mine. Father, let your will be done. Father, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven right here in my heart. Let's pray together and we'll sing that song. Father, great, grateful. We are so grateful for the way that you continue to move in each and every one of us, in our church, in our community. God, change us to be more like you so people can see you, so people can experience you. That is our prayer, a prayer of submission. God, we need you. We can't do it on our own. And when you use us, may you have the glory, not pointing back to ourselves, not pointing to how great we think we are, but instead, look how great you are. Pray it all in your name. Amen.